Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Okay, so I am super excited. We have a guest today, and anytime that there's a guest who is also an entrepreneur, um, I get super excited because I think that entrepreneurial spirit is born out of our call into radical discipleship. And so we've got Tim Dumas. He's a certified coach, speaker, and trainer uh, with the John Maxwell team, certified facilitator and trainer with Extreme Leadership Institute, um, a partner and consultant with Virtuous Leadership, LLC. It goes on and on and on, but the fun one, uh, they're they're all fun, but the fun one is he's a partner and chief operations officer in Jack's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. So in regards to the entrepreneurial branch, he also is doing it in the secular world as well as bringing some of those gifts into the, uh, the faith um, and so he's he's, he's coach. He coaches soccer and football. Him and his six children. So everyone on the podcast today has six children. All right. Him and his wife and his six kids live just outside of Vancouver. Um, and so Tim, we are so glad to have you here today. Why don't you say hello? Hey, Chris. Hey, Matt. Such a pleasure to be uh, with you today and everyone on the podcast. Wonderful. And and Chris, just because I don't want to let you cheat, I know we talked about cheating before. But what's the name of the town he resides in? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, just outside of Vancouver. <laughs> I'm gonna Still forget it. I, cheating. It's Tawasson. Tawasson. All right. And the spelling is T S A W W A S S E N. So Tawasson definitely does not sound how it's spelled. So the the Black Madonna in, in Poland. How would you pronounce the city that she's in? Like the like Our Lady of Czestochowa is what yeah. it is. Have you yeah. have you seen how that's spelled? Like yeah, it's, it's like someone, someone, someone sneezed alphabet soup, and they yeah. said that's how we're going to spell it, right? Yeah. Anyway, no. sorry, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that was a part of our prayer this morning. And so, anyway, it just made me, it made me think about that. I also love the fact we all have six kids on this podcast. So, if, if you hear some, uh, I'm, I'm in the the basement office of my house, but if you're screaming uh, coming from the other side of the house, uh, everything's okay. And Tim, what is your what is your age range? Mine go from like 17 down to three. Oh, we're almost the same. My youngest is five. My oldest is 16. All right. I'm, I'm on the younger end, two to 13, and everyone is home right now um, because we have a stomach bug uh, rampaging, <laughs> not just affecting, but rampaging through the family. It is uh, quite the adventure from about 2 a.m. until about today years old. So, yeah. Yeah. And every everybody that has a large family knows that that feeling of like when the first person gets it, you're like, oh, no, we've got two more weeks of this when everybody else gets it. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. So, okay. So one, one of the things that you're an expert in um, is leadership. And I just wanted to start because there's so many different definitions and so many different approaches to leadership. How do you approach or how do you define leadership, Tim? Well, you know, what's funny because, you know, we, we talk about leadership with kids in high school. We, we've talked about it from a young age. So when I walked in to my first job where I was a leader, where I was the manager, it was a manager of a little uh, of, a, of a, a pub and restaurant just outside of Vancouver here. And I walked in to lead my first group of people. I realized I didn't have any idea what leadership actually was. I couldn't even define it if you asked me what it was. And apparently, by the way, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, they can't even define it either because they define leadership as being the act of leading. Like, I don't know about you, but if I wrote that on my, you know, fourth grade test, I would have failed, right? So I walk into that meeting ready to inspire them. I'm ready to give them my best 
Vince Lombardi impersonation to fire them up. And guess what happened? They look at me with this stare, with their mouths open. And basically their face was just saying, why? Why should I lead you? Why should I care? I just showed up because I don't want to lose my job. I left that meeting that day with a goal to figure out what leadership was. And that day now was darn near 20 years ago, 17 or 18 years ago. Wow. And I'm still on that journey. I went to Miriam Webster. Then I went to John Maxwell. I went to Jack Welch, Brene Brown, John Gordon, some of the greatest leadership gurus in the world. And I still couldn't find it. They all had great definitions of leadership. John Maxwell said leadership is about influence. Jack Welch said it was about generosity. Brene Brown said it was about vulnerability. John Gordon said it was about giving positive energy. All great, but they were all missing something. I couldn't just define leadership and say, this is what it is. It wasn't until I met who's now my great friend, Alex Havard, a couple of years ago. And he wrote a book called virtuous leadership and another book called the power of magnanimity or um, among others. And when I asked him that same question, I finally got a leadership definition that really hit home about what leadership really is in the Christian world, secular world, any type of world, as many people as I've spoken to about this definition, they can buy in. And he defines leadership simply by the word magnanimity and magnanimity is defined as the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. The spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. And that really, in essence, is what any leader in any walk of life, in any organization, is attempting to do. Real quick, I want to go back to that first moment. Because like when you were describing that moment of the first time of you being in front of people leading, I know, like, like it, I know that every ministry leader has had that moment, um, regardless of, of how well-formed you were or how much school you have, yada, yada, yada. Unless, um, I don't know, unless you're just kind of, I don't know, really arrogant. <laughs> you, you have that moment of like, oh God, oh God, these people think I'm supposed to know what I'm doing and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and now they know that I don't know what I'm supposed to and, be doing. And they're like, about to find out. They're yep. about to find out that I have no idea what I'm doing. So that like that moment, and maybe like I don't know, there there may be some wisdom to share to new ministry leaders out there or other ministry leaders to help pour into new ministry leaders. Like, I don't know, is there something that uh that we can point out about that moment just to, I don't know, like lift people up that either just had that moment or about to have that moment or see that moment coming? Sure. Now I spoke about many different great leaders who had some definitions of leadership, which, which didn't quite define it perfectly. And, and one person I think of is Brene Brown. She talks about the power of vulnerability. She's, she's, she's big right now in, in the leadership world. And you know what we often forget when, and what I forgot when I walked into that room to address these people who I would be leading, I forgot about the power of vulnerability. And, you know, if we look back 100 years ago to people who led businesses, they would never let their vulnerability show. They would say, I'm the boss, do it my way. This is the way to do it. And do you know the problem when we don't show our vulnerability? I don't know about you, but anyone that knows me quite well ends up knowing what my strengths are and what my failures are. Mm -hmm. If I don't show them vulnerability, guess who the only person who isn't admitting to that vulnerability is? Me. 
Everyone knows about it. If I spend enough time with your kids, your wife, your good friends, they would all say, yeah, Chris and Matt, they're great guys, but they have strengths and they have weaknesses. And if you came to me and said, Hey, I know everything. Just follow me. Initially I'd say, great. I finally met someone like that. Then when I got to know you better, then I start to realize that we don't know everything. So coming into that meeting saying, Hey, I don't have the answers, but that's not what a leader is. Mm. A leader is someone inspires people, holds them accountable to do more, to achieve more, to be that version of themselves that they are called to be and that they long to be. And that's what a leader is. A leader doesn't necessarily have all the answers. The definition of a great leader is someone that hires people around them in a business or surrounds themselves with people that have the strengths where their weaknesses lie. Right. Yeah. And so that may be the key is like, like that feeling of, oh, crud, they're going to find out I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. That is because their definition of leadership is wrong. Like their understanding of leadership. Like they, they have this idea that the leader has it all together. Everything's perfect. They know everything. They know all the perfect things to say, all the right motivational Rudy quotes to quote at the right time. Um, and I don't even know why I thought about Rudy, but <laughs> uh, well, we could talk about Rudy all day, one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you but play that's the song. What... Do you have that song when he walks in the Notre Dame Stadium? <laughs> I get chills every time. <laughs> that idea, and that may be the biggest thing to tell new ministry leaders before they get up there the first time is like look at your definition of what leadership is, because you might just have it wrong. Um, because you you have the wrong measuring tape set out for for what you're supposed to be measuring yourself against. Right. There is that pedestal leadership, and then there's servant leadership. And one seeks to make yourself great. The other seeks to bring out the greatness in others. And I think Liz Wiseman kind of talks about that in her book, Multipliers. Um, and so that, that book is about magnanimity, and she doesn't even really know it. But according to the definition of leadership that you just gave us, it really does kind of draw in or lean into that reality. Now, for that moment, though, I think it's a powerful moment to walk into a room everyone look at you and basically see that you're a phony. <laughs> like, this guy does not know what he's talking about. But yet you've been in that privileged position, whether it's in ministry or in the workplace, to stand in front of people and seek to lead them. And uh, it is a powerful moment to realize, I need to take seriously this role of leadership, even if I don't necessarily know how to do it. And that's where vulnerability comes in, because you can walk alongside people a lot better than you can walk in front of people, especially once they figure out that, you're just an average Joe like them. They're more willing to follow someone like themselves than they are to follow someone who would be a guru or something like that. They'll learn from a guru, but they'll follow a leader. People follow people and, and are inspired by, by people that, uh, that, that love them, right? So if the definition of leadership is, is magnanimity and how we can enact that is through love, you know, when we think about great leaders, they were people that truly loved us. And we might get into more love in a moment, but when I really realized what leadership was, it was three years ago. I, as you mentioned earlier, I was I'm certified by John Maxwell and his method of coaching. And when I was uh, with John Maxwell and these other coaches getting certified, there was a definition of three ways that one can lead another. There are three ways. One, you can train them, which is you can tell them what to do. Number two, you can mentor them which is drawing upon your past experience to help them understand what to do. Or number three, you can coach them by asking questions to help you to help them bring that answer out of themselves. And the really interesting thing about that is when you really think about that coaching aspect and that asking the question to help them bring that out of themselves, it has nothing to do with your experience. 
It has nothing to do with what you know. So if you think about it, what I've realized in my years of coaching now is that I can coach people better when I really don't under, let's say in the business world, when I don't understand their business. Hmm. So I'm, I, I haven't been in, involved heavily in tech businesses, but I coach some people in tech, but I can ask curious questions because I don't understand how that works. And when I ask that question, those people start thinking about, well, why do I do it that way? Why do we do it that way in tech? Why don't we do it the way somebody else does it, right? So really, when we think about that, really a leader doesn't even have to have all the knowledge. A leader has to ask. John Maxwell's book, Great Leaders Ask Great Questions. Yes. A great leader needs to just ask great questions. So I was at a Christian comedian event the other day, and uh, his name is Michael Jr. He's excellent. I really encourage you guys to check him out. He's hilarious. But uh, but he did a lot of audience interaction, uh, which was spectacular. Um, I think sometimes we, um, as, as leaders kind of hold and, and lead on a professional level or on a discipleship level, but within our own home, we lead a little bit differently, you know, uh, and we, we each have six children here, so it's something worth asking. But he was on stage and he, he had a 10-year-old raise his hand and uh, he asked the 10-year-old, what do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the 10-year-old gave some, some answer that, that makes a lot of money, a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Uh, the six-year-old would have said a unicorn. You know what I mean? Like there's just <laughs> something about them being able to dream on a different level. Um, but, but he said there's a certain point in a child's life when we start asking just the wrong questions. Because when you, wanna, when you ask them, what do you want to be? Um, they start to narrow that vision because they stop to dream a little bit. Um, so he said, I want to ask you a different question. And it kind of tapped into their vision of the world. He said, not not what do you want to be when you grow up, but who do you want to help when you grow up? Like, that's the question. And if you ask that question, it changes everything about what you're going to study or what your pathway is and things like that, because you start seeing in a bigger vision field. And so, um, so, so Tim, how do you, with your own children, kind of bring in some of your gifting and your own skill set in regards to helping them think on that long-term vision to draw out the best in them as a leader? Well, I, first of all, I love that question of, of, of who, who can I help and who can I support. It's a it's it's a fabulous question. Now, with with children, it's really about finding out um, their passions and supporting them to live those passions. Um, I, I have a colleague who's also a co- uh, business coach, and he went to work with a junior hockey team. And this junior hockey team, they're players that are you know two steps away, let's say from the from the NHL. So if you look at the law of averages, still they, they'd be lucky if one person actually made it to play one game in the NHL. Here, he walked into that room to to coach these, like mentally coach these, um, not not physically coach them, mentally coach these these young athletes. And he asked them about their aspirations and their dreams. And they, they all said, well, you know, I know there's not much chance of making the NHL. So, you know, we're just here to, you know, have fun and hopefully, hopefully we do better. And he said it was horrific because do you know what happened with those players? Do you think that they worked as hard? Do you think they were as creative on the ice? Do you think there was creative or worked as hard in their life? See, if they just championed the dreams if their coach their physical coach championed their dreams it would allow them to be more creative allow them to work harder gave them the license to do that so as we relate that back to children it's the same thing you know we talked earlier about how you know my boys play football my girls play soccer and just allowing them to dream to be that professional athlete because 
they may or may not become that professional athlete, but it teaches them to dream. And as they come up with hurdles there, they're going to begin to continue to dream into other areas of their lives. So asking them questions and never, never, ever squashing that dream or never trying to bring that dream to reality. I have a mentor, her name's Nancy McKay, the, the founder of McKay CEO Forums. And she was one of the greatest questions, which I use all the time. She said, Tim, if I told you, you could not fail, what would you set to achieve today? If I told you you couldn't fail, what would you set to achieve? And when we ask that question of our children, our colleagues, amazing things happen. And we start setting a, a course of action to achieve those amazing things. Basically what we're called to do in our lives. I've got to follow up on that because like, I'm really interested in, in this because um, I think, so my son is a junior right now um, and he wants to play basketball in college. He is not going to play basketball at D1. Just, he's not. I mean, maybe in a really small D1, he could walk on, um, but that's not what he wants to do. And like, whatever, that's a very slim chance. Um, so as his father, I can't tell him, keep dreaming about D1. At this point, we've got to get realistic about, okay, like if you really want to play, this is what we're looking at. This is where we're at. So at what point does that like keep dreaming switch to a little bit more of reality or whatever like because um because I, I totally understand if you if you tell a team you're never going to be hockey players or never you're never going to make it to the next level um or whatever that's can be really uh d whatever it's called motivating. <laughs> you thank yeah. you demotivating <laughs> um but there's also like this idea of you know, like there are limitations. Right. You can't abilities. let that six-year-old say, well, okay, just try as hard as you can, believe as hard as you can, and you can become that unicorn. It's delusional, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a great question, Tim. What are your thoughts? Uh, certainly. So number one, it's it's about when, when we dream. And so in, in organizations I work with, especially in the business world, we talk about doing dream sessions, right? So when we do a dream session and when your son, Matt says, it's my dream to play D1 basketball. Well, well then we put in a plan in place to set out to achieve that dream. Now he said, so what are you going to do? You're going to send letters, videotape to, to local D1 coaches, some other D1 coaches. When they come back and say, Hey, I'm not sure that you're uh, ready for us to give you a scholarship. Then we say, okay, we have to course correct a little bit. Let's start looking at D2 or D3 or community college. When we look at that, we're going to find a way to continue to dream in that. And hey, I, you know, there's a host of great players that played, uh, that played D2 college basketball, right? So that dream is not dead, but also to ensure that we have dreams in multiple categories, right? Uh, you know, the the athletic dream that's that's a that's could be a physical dream that could be a dream professional dream right but it's important that we have dreams you know adventure dreams we have character legacy dreams and we, you know we have our family dreams we have our spiritual dreams our well-being dreams when we set out and, and actually set our dreams in multiple categories then we understand look if I you know play d2 and at the end of my d2 career if I realize that I'm not going to get drafted in the NBA I have these other dreams that this has set me in motion to achieve and set me ready to uh, become great in these areas. So I have this wide variety of dreams. And one of the greatest questions I see in dream sessions is the character legacy dream, which many of us forget about. And the best question for that is just stating, what would you like to say on your tombstone? You don't have many words to put on your tombstone. 
you have maybe 10, 12 words. What do you want it to say and go live that out today? And then secondly, write the 10 points in point form that someone is going to read at your eulogy, in your eulogy at your funeral and go live that today and live like, the, like today is your last and live like you're living towards your eulogy. Yeah. So I think that there's a, especially in, in this season uh, of disruption of the pandemic and things like that, I think there's a hunger that has been lost in a number of people. They're just not hungry anymore. And I see that in regards to discipleship and, and pieces like that. And so Matt, to go back to the basketball analogy, I think that there is a, uh, a, a real sense that God is glorified by the, by the uh, 13 year old at the park playing his heart out then more God is glorified by that more than he's glorified by the NBA player who's doing his job. Yeah. Do you see where the passion is different in regards to those two? And, and the NBA players have had that moment, but some of them are just now grinding for, for a paycheck or grinding for the team and stuff like that. But, but the kid that's going all out on that basketball court, God is like, this kid is using all of his gifts and talents to lean in. So I have to share a dad fail. Um, and I, I knew this was going to come up at some point in my life. Um, but my daughter, you know, wanted to have a lemonade stand. And so, of course, I get into the financial um, viability of said stand and tell her that she's not going to make any money. So she might as well not do it. <laughs> it's like, I just crushed this little girl's dream. Like she was like, she was just wanting to have fun doing this. And it was like, instead of like just going with it, like the dad would, I was like, you know, you're going to you're going to you're going to lose money on this deal. You're not going to make any money because you're going to have to pay me for the water, you're going to have to pay me for the lemonade, you're going to have to pay me for the wood to build the stand. Um and by the time you get that done, you're going to have to sell 3,000, you know, glasses of you You're know, charging stuff. her for the water? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, I got to teach the girl how to run a business, right? <laughs> Ouch. So anyway, like that was a dad fail. Like that was one of those things where like you can take that like <laughs> like dream like to reality a little too far. And I think I did that. <laughs> For sure. Wow. Okay. She just had the wrong location. It's all about location, Matt. Yeah, yeah my yard not, is not the yeah. best location. <laughs> We're good. Okay, so uh, we just have a few minutes left, and I want to I want to continue to lean in because for me, hearing the word dream session, <laughs> it sounds very new agey, and and I just want to clarify that that is not at all what it is. Like God gave us the gift of imagination, and engaging that imagination in His hands really allows us to see beyond. So we got to look at what is concrete and real, right? So if I am you know, 300 pounds, and my dream is to be a horse jockey, right? That That is not aligned with the, the different things that God has given me. But if I'm 300 pounds and I want to be a linebacker, okay, now we're talking. If I don't have a good prayer life and I want to be a dynamic disciple, right, but there's a hunger in my heart, God's going to create a pathway. And I believe that he can multiply our prayer time. He can multiply even our weaknesses to be in his hands so that we are still able to lead people closer or lead others closer to Jesus. And I think that that's an exciting thing, but there has to be a hunger that 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 that, uh, that needs to occur. And I don't know sometimes how to get that hunger when you walk into the, that room, and it's that same room that you talked about, Tim, at the very beginning. You walk into the room, and this room full of teenagers or parishioners are just staring you at you saying, I just came here to get a sacrament. Can we please get done within 45 minutes instead of an hour? Let's just get out of here. How do we inspire and lead those people? Well, number the first thought that comes to mind is uh, 
you never know the time frame, right? So we never know the time frame. You know, we always think, okay, I'd like to lead these people tomorrow, right? And I wanted to do that when I walked into that in, into that meeting that first day, but they weren't ready for it, and I wasn't ready for it, right? So when we talk about when you're in ministry, you know, you don't know what God's time is, and you don't know what seed you plant could pay dividends in the future, right? So to those people that say, hey, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I have enough time, I don't know if it's the right time, I'm not sure what to do. The whole point is action. And when I when I mentioned that 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 question earlier about, you know, if you could dream the most audacious dream and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? That, that that's really what our calling is in, in life, right? That's really about finding our mission, finding our vocation, right? When, you know, imagine if someone told Mother Teresa, you know what, it's insane that you're gonna have a, you know, an organization of people around the world taking care of the poor, like, you know, why don't you just focus on, you know, being a teacher in a school, right? And be more realistic or be more yeah. traditional, right? Right. Yeah. So when we think about that, there's, a, we could give a, a host of different people that dreamed audaciously to live out their calling in life. So uh, no matter who that is or what that is, we don't know where that's going to lead us in, in five years or 10 years, right? But what I do know is I don't know anyone whose path has been straight. It's always squiggly, right? And that path that you're working towards might not look exactly the same as what you think it does. But when you dream and you work towards getting there, like your son in basketball, Matt, I, I played lower level college football. And so, you know, I didn't make it to the pros, but it did support me on getting towards my getting towards my dreams and hopefully living the life um, I was called to live. Yep. So I think one of the dangers that happens is that we don't allow people to dream big enough, right? And so I think God is sometimes insulted by our dreams, right? I was I was with Matt uh, way early on back when it was Next Level Ministry, and I was just trying to figure out how to lead other people in leading other people with what I do now as the Director of Leadership Formation over here to Blaze. And he said, what are your yearly goals? And this was my side hustle. I was doing this, you know, about eight to 12 hours a week. And I shared it with him. He's like... These are kind of lame goals. Like you could probably accomplish all of your yearly goals in a month. Like you need to dream bigger dreams is what he was telling me. But but the idea behind it is if we're going to dream, we need to dream in a way that honors God, not in a way that's like, yeah, God, you gave me these gifts and talents and I'm just going to let let it ride, you know? Yeah, I mean, our, our dreams should not be achievable by us. Like to be to be honest, like they should be so big that we can't do it. Because well, if, if well, we can we do can it, we don't need do God. If. Yeah, we can only do it with God. Like if, if our dreams aren't big enough to need God, then they're not big enough. Sorry. And, no, that's absolutely – so that's where I was headed. So if, if you were in a secular job, what would it mean for you to bring Christ to that workplace? You know, and I have friends who are on uh, on their little group chats, and HR is like, you guys can't talk about Christian things because that could trigger or offend people uh, along the way. It's like, well, if I don't talk about it there, I'm going to talk about it in the way that I live. I'm going to talk about it at the water cooler because it's who I am. I can't stop being who I am. And to allow God to help you navigate that tension because there's tension there, right? Or if you're at a parish and every staff meeting, which happens once every quarter, right, it, it feels toxic and they all need to, you know, go through some leadership training. You feel diminished constantly. Um, how are you going to be the one person that's magnanimous in the workplace, to multiply the gifts, the talents, and the dreams of everyone else in there, um, to show what's possible, to not what not not show what is, but what is possible. And there's there's a harsh reality in regards to it because at the end of time, we're going to have to be held accountable for stewarding our gifts 
And if we didn't lift them up high enough, right, then, then we didn't live radically enough to be able to be called his disciples. And that, that scares me. You know what? The, the word that comes to mind is authenticity, right? How do we live our faith in the, in the secular world? How do I live, live our faith in the workplace? It's, to me, it's simply authenticity, right? When, when somebody asks me, what did you do on the weekend? Uh, you know, I went to mass Sunday with my family. What did you do last night? I hosted a Bible study. What did you do? That's just being authentic. And if we create, uh, hopefully we can create a workplace and, and a culture in our environment where there's there's a lack of judgment. I don't judge the people that I work with in um, in any aspect of their lives. And, and I would hope for the same uh, from them. But I'm also truly authentic. And I expect them to be authentic too. When we live a life of authenticity that um, that that our faith shows through what we do, how we serve people, and we don't don't hide the fact of, of you know that we went to mass in the morning or we went to mass on the weekend or we 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 pray in the morning. People ask me, they're like, Tim, do you do meditation practices? I go, yeah, absolutely, I do. I, I call it my morning prayer meditation. Right? Some people do their meditation; it's not it's not considered prayer. That's how I do it. And when they ask my experiences, I give them my experiences. And so, really, living out our faith in the secular world to me is about being authentic. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys, we want to encourage you to dream bigger dreams and empower or lead others to do the same. And so, Tim, if they wanted to follow up with you, ask you a question or poke holes in your uh, your your, uh, your content, what? how would they reach out to you? Yeah, the best way to reach out to me is on my website at serviceleadership.com. Service is spelled S-E-R-V-U-S. It's the Latin word for servant, service leadership, S-E-R-V-U-S leadership.com. Uh, they can also find me on LinkedIn. Either one of those ways, you'll find a phone number to reach me at and an email. Awesome. Great. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, let's continue the conversation online. You can find us in our Facebook group. Uh, just search Ministry Leaders Anonymous, and we will jump right in to, to continue that dialogue. And please send any feedback you guys have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. So take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and dream bigger dreams. You can do it. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. And God bless you.